0: Bibles, turn to Genesis 39, keep your finger there, but we'll flip back to Psalm 105, two places, Genesis 39, we'll spend most of our time there, but I want to read a verse out of Psalm 105, we're in this, this series, this life study on the man Joseph, and I, I love, I love the lessons, they're so rich, uh, this, today is going to be like filet, okay, there's no, no donuts, Man, I mean, God bless donuts, but we're going to give you something that will nourish your soul today. And you can't eat it like popcorn. Come on, somebody. You're going to have to let this just kind of marinate in your mouth. The, the, the content of Joseph's life is so rich. And we kicked it off last week. Uh, we talked about dreams. I don't know if you were here last week or had a chance to, to watch that message. But we talked about how dreams come from God. We talked about how there will always be haters. We talked about God's timing when it comes to dreams is perfect. And when he accomplishes what he drops in our hearts. And so last week we talked about dreams. Today we're going to talk about drama. How many of you know anything about drama? Somebody say, save the drama for your mama. A quick review, what we talked about last. Everybody gets excited about dreams, but nobody wants drama. How many of you know that sometimes you can't avoid drama? Now, you don't want to invite drama because people who do drama are emotionally expensive. Nod your head if you're with me today. Yeah, but sometimes drama has a way of finding you and last week we talked about how uh, of all of his brothers Joseph was the favorite of his father and how, how, how Jacob gave his son Joseph this coat of many colors and, and Joseph was, he kind of flaunted that coat. He flaunted his position and his brothers hated him for it. Joseph had a couple of dreams and in both of these dreams he saw that his bundle of grain or that his star was shining brighter and everybody else around him was subservient to his him and we know that in 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 telling those dreams joseph's brothers hated him even more and so they devised a plan when they saw joseph coming they devised a plan and they threw him in a pit okay last week when we left off joseph was in the pits anybody know anything about the pits sometimes god will give you a dream and before you can get to the palace you're going to have to go through the pit Psalm 105, verse 19, and I love this verse because I think this is a great overview of the life of Joseph. The psalmist tells us this, until the time came to fulfill his dreams. Everybody say time. time. There's a timing to the dream. God drops the seed of a dream into your soul, but it's for an appointed time. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's Character. Anybody know anything about tests? You see, your dream can't be trusted until it's first tested. Oh, come on now. God will place a dream in your spirit, give you a vision or a revelation for, for your life or for your future. But that dream is going to go through a series of tests. And what I want to talk to you about today are the tests that come with the dream. Now, let me be quick to say this, okay? And my dad taught me this because he was a, a school teacher for over 30 years. And, and three thoughts that I had as it relates to tests, because all of us will be tested. Some of you are currently going through a test. Some of you have just come out of a test. And there are still others of you that are about to be tested. So you're either in a test, you're coming out of a test, or you're on the brink of being tested my dad would tell me this he'd say son a good teacher will never test you over something you haven't already covered now I'm about to shout right now somebody say that's good news in other words if you're being tested How many of you remember your grade school teachers, your elementary school teachers? Yeah, I can still go back to the second grade or the fourth grade or even the fifth grade. My father was my fifth grade teacher. Somebody say, bad idea. (laughs) You know, the teacher is going to test you over something that you've already covered. If you're being tested, you've either seen it, you've read it, You've experienced it. You've heard about it. The answer that you need is already in you. My, 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 my. That is good news because some of you are feeling like, man, I'm in the middle of a test right now, and I don't know what to do. A good teacher will never test you over something you haven't already covered. In other words, if you're being tested, God has already supplied you with the answer that you need. It's in there somewhere. You say, Mike, what, what, what about a pop quiz? Remember when you come to class and the teacher would say, okay, take out a sheet of paper. How many of you know at that moment you learned how to pray real fast? <laughs> take out a sheet of paper and number it from one to ten. You're like, oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah. Well, even then, it, there was some homework or some reading or something that you were supposed to have already covered a good teacher will never test you over something that you haven't covered before the second thing my dad would say is this three quick things about test the second thing he would say is this testing is god's method of promotion promotion how many of you want to be promoted two of you how many have ever prayed for god to enlarge your territory bring you to another level and to raise the bar of your experience with him Okay, how do you go from the fifth grade to the sixth grade? You're going to have to take some tests. And even if you flunk the test, you never fail school. You circle back around, come on, somebody, and you're retested. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. You see, God's method of promotion is to test you. So the reason why some of you may be experiencing the current test that you're going through, it's an answer to the prayer that you prayed. You're like, well, 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 wait, wait a second, Pastor. I don't remember saying any prayer. When you said, Lord, I'm going to another level. When you said, God, bring me higher. When you said, Lord, promote me in my business. Father, enlarge my financial capacity. When you said, perhaps the Lord, Come on, anybody remember that? Yes. When you said perhaps the Lord, God said, okay, before they can go to another level, they need to pass a few tests. You know, there was a time in my life when I was really just frustrated. I felt like God was always dealing with me. Nobody's ever felt that. You ever said, Lord, why are you always dealing with me? Won't you deal with her? <laughs> Come on, don't get religious on me this morning. Have you ever prayed a prayer and said, Lord, you got to change him. He's got a whole lot of issues going on over there. There's not much happening here. you got more work to do there. Take care of him. Change her. Fix them. Has anybody ever prayed that before? I was really frustrated. I said, Lord, why are you always dealing with me? And he said, Mike, you've asked me for a lot. Do you want it or not? Come on, somebody say promotion. You see, God's method of promoting is to send you test. The first thing is a good teacher will never test you over something you haven't already covered. The second thing is testing is God's method of promotion. And the third thing, and this is perhaps the best thing, every test is open book. Mm, Come on, hum at me this morning. Mm. You say, "My I just don't know what to do. Guess what? God knows. The answer key is right here. It's called the B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Open book. I don't know what your current test is, but the answer is right in front of you. If you'll just, uh, listen, get away from Facebook and put your face in the book. Hey, Rachel told me to say that. I mean, because... Women's night was so amazing. I'm just trying to borrow some of her stuff. Let's put our face in this book in Genesis 39. Genesis 39, we, we see that Joseph was sold as a slave to some Ishmaelite traders, and he ends up down in Egypt. He ends up serving in the house of a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's military commanders. Look at what it says here, verse 2, Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph. I want you to circle that phrase in your Bible. That's very important. You'll see that concurrent theme throughout this chapter. The Lord, even though he was sold as a slave and he was under adverse circumstances, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served. Notice where success came from. It came from the presence of the Lord, but Joseph succeeded as he served. That's why this church, that's why Healing Place is committed to serving. Because when you commit to serve, you'll be guaranteed success from the Lord. Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household. Why? For Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. He gave that to Joseph. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a single thing except what kind of food to eat. Can I have a good amen? How many of you business owners would love to hire a Joseph? Joseph. Oh yeah, isn't it interesting that Potiphar's house, that Potiphar's business, that everything that concerned Potiphar was blessed because of a young Hebrew boy named Joseph. You see, the blessing and the favor on Joseph didn't just stop with Joseph. But God caused Joseph to succeed in everything he did. Now, there are three tests in this particular season of Joseph's life. And I want you to know, a dream can't be trusted until it's first tested. The first test we see here in Genesis 39 is the responsibility test. Everybody say responsibility. Responsibility. Joseph had tremendous responsibility. Responsibility starts with understanding stewardship. Notice, Joseph is in a foreign land serving under a pagan master in somebody else's house, and he's been given a stewardship responsibility over things that don't belong to him. Now, that's important. Somebody say stewardship. You see, responsibility starts with understanding stewardship. The truth is this. When God gives you a dream, that dream doesn't belong to you. It came from God. It belongs to the Lord. So we don't own it. We simply steward it. Can I have a better amen? Now, sometimes this is hard for us to really embrace. It's, it's, we're wired in such a way, we start out thinking everything belongs to us. Do we not? I don't even know a kid's favorite word is mine, right? I can remember when when I was in middle school and I heard all my friends talking about the allowance that they were being paid by their parents for the chores that they would do around the house. And so I got the bright idea. I said, Dad, listen, everybody in the sixth grade is getting an allowance except for me. I think it's time for me to start earning an allowance. I think you and mom need to start appreciating all the work. They're getting paid for something. I'm doing the same work. My income is zero. My dad said, son, come here. (laughs) How many of you know your parents had a different revelation on the same situation? He said, son, do you like that shirt you're wearing? I was like, yes, sir. He said, who bought that shirt for you? I said, Well, you did. He said, That's right. It's my shirt. <laughs> you like that meal that, that your mama made earlier today? Who who do you think bought those groceries? I said, Well, well, you did. That's right. It's my food. <laughs> did you get a good night's rest last night, son? Oh, yes, sir. How about that bed? Who purchased the bed? the mattress, the pillows, the sheets, the covers. It's my bed. He said, oh, by the way, take a deep breath. I was like, why? Take a deep breath, son. Yeah, that air you're breathing, that's mine too. He said, here's your allowance. I'm gonna allow you to wear my shirt. I'm gonna allow you to eat my food. I'm gonna allow you to sleep in my bed. And guess what? I'm gonna allow you to breathe my air. There's your allowance. Come on, can I have a good amen? I got a revelation. Wait a second. I don't own much of anything. Everything I have is borrowed. The truth is this. What you have, it came from God. It belongs to God. And it must be used for God. Stewardship is understanding that you don't own anything. Come on, can somebody help me preach today? Now, it may be within your possession, but it doesn't belong to you. Your very breath is borrowed, and one day God will require that back from you. You see, Joseph had to learn that he wasn't an owner. He was a steward. And it seems a little unfair, doesn't it? I mean, consider Potiphar was a pagan leader in a foreign land. He didn't know God, but yet everything Potiphar had was blessed because of a young boy named Joseph. Now, some of you, uh, we're fixing to step into something right now. Some of you have a dream, but you feel like that dream is on hold because God has put you in another context. You see other people getting blessed, and you're wondering, wait a second, what about my dream? You see, that wasn't Joseph's house. That wasn't Joseph's things. That wasn't anything that connected to Joseph. He was simply required to serve another man's dream. Let me ask you this, before you see the fulfillment of your dream come to pass, can you faithfully serve somebody else's dream? Mm-mm-mm-mm. It's called the responsibility test. Jesus said it this way in Luke sixteen twelve. He said, and if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Come on, can somebody help me today? Can you take this dream that you feel like belongs to you, and instead of becoming an owner, can you become a steward of it? And instead of chasing everything that's going to make you happy, can you invest yourself in somebody else's dream? Can you put your plans on pause to serve in the context that God has currently placed you? Some of you, you feel a call to be a business owner. You're not owning a business, but you're working in a business. And right now what you're doing is you are sowing seeds today that will produce a harvest for your tomorrow. How you are as an employee will determine who you are as a business owner. Can I have a better amen? You know, when we came here years ago, and the church is 26 years old, man, I'm, I'm so thankful for the vision that I've got to step into, that i got to be a part of. Did you know Healing Place Church didn't start with me? And you know what? Healing Place Church is not going to end with me. It's not my church. You're not my people. This is God's house, and you belong to the Lord. You know, Rachel, I remember we were driving down Highland Road, and and we came past this, this property. This was probably six or seven years ago, and the Lord whispered to her. He said, I want you to look up on that hill, and I want you to see that property and see all those buildings. He said, that's not yours. He said, that's mine. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. You know, I had a stewardship responsibility for about the first 20 years of this church to serve in a vision that wasn't even mine. But if you can faithfully steward what doesn't belong to you, come on, somebody. If you can learn to invest yourself in the dream of another man, God will give you a dream of your own. Come on, can somebody say amen today? That tells me this. We don't hold tightly to things. We don't hold tightly to stuff. If you want to know if somebody is a steward or an owner, listen to their language. Listen to how they talk. When they use words like I, me, or mine, that possessive, that's not stewardship. But when you hear people use words like we, us, our, Nobody says, well, look, that's my parking place. That's my office. That's my phone. No, 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 it's not yours. You're a steward. You hold to stuff loosely, but you cling to Jesus tightly. What do you squeeze? What do you hold on to? What do you take ownership of? Your faith, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You see, the test of responsibility will determine whether or not God can trust us with more. Let me give you another example. I feel like I've, I've drilled this thing so deep. How many parents do we have? How many of you have more than one child? How many of you marvel at how different your children are? How many of you have things in your kids that you identify with and you're like, yeah, that came from me? And then you see things in your kids, you're like, that's from their mama's side. Yeah, guess what? Those children are not yours. I have three kids, eeny, meeny, miny. We ain't having no more. They don't belong to me. Here's what. God has given us as parents a stewardship responsibility. The first 18 years of their life, we give them roots. We get them rooted and grounded in the Word of God, in the values of faith, in the things that are important to us. The first 18 years, they have roots, but then something happens. And we got to give them wings. And we got to say, spread your wings and fly. Are you with me? Those kids don't belong to us. We steward them. Joseph was beginning to see a transformation in his life. He was going from a spoiled, entitled brat to a faithful and wise steward. The responsibility test is a big test. Look at what it says in verse 6. Everybody with me? Come on. Are Are you into this today? Verse 6, Joseph was a very handsome and well built young man. In the Hebrew, it means he looked like David Ray. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Joseph was a very handsome and well built young man. And Potiphar's wife, somebody say, uh oh. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Now notice, even though Joseph is in a foreign land, He's far away from the promise or his people. God is very near. And in fact, inside of Joseph, he's not lost his orientation or spiritual compass. He says this would be a great sin against God. Verse 10, but she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day after day. Listen to me, church. Sin is never satisfied. Compromise will continually knock at the door. In fact, I tell you this, temptation doesn't just knock at the door. It leans on the doorbell. Day after day after day, she kept coming at him. You know, we don't know her name, but Potiphar's wife, we'll call her Miss Potty. And Miss Potty was a little naughty. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Miss Potty thought Joseph was a hottie, and so she tried to get a little naughty. Hello. (laughs) Day after day. But he refused to sleep with her. And so he kept out of her way as much as possible. Listen to me. Men and women of faith, you don't have to go looking for trouble. Trouble will come and find you especially when you have a dream in your heart and you've got an anointing on your life and you've got a passion for the things of God, the devil will draw a target, a bullseye, and he'll put it right on your back. He tried to stay out of her way as much as possible. One day, verse 11, however, no one else was around and he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. The first test is responsibility. The second test is the test of integrity. This is If you've got a dream in your heart, you will be tested with what I call the integrity test. Think how easy it would have been for Joseph to compromise. He was far away from home. Nobody knew him. Nobody knew the God of the Hebrews. And if you had been treated like Joseph was, think about it, betrayed by his brothers and sold as a slave, Wouldn't you have a little touch of self-pity? Don't you think it would have been easy for Joseph to convince himself, you know what, nobody will see. This won't hurt anybody. My life has been lousy. I deserve this. But the good news is Joseph understood stewardship. I want you to see this. Joseph, he passed the responsibility test. He understood boundaries. He knew what was his and what wasn't his. You see, when you understand, when you pass the responsibility test, then you're positioned to pass the integrity test. And you know what? Integrity is not necessarily seen in the big things that we do, but it's seen in the little things along the way. Come on, somebody say integrity. You see, reputation is who I am in front of everybody, but integrity is who I am when nobody's watching but God. You see, it's not the big mistakes, it's not the big decisions, but integrity can be measured through the little commitments along the way. You see, little by little, the devil will throw compromise. you got a big dream in your heart, it doesn't take big mistakes to destroy it. Let me say something that I'm learning about character and integrity. Integrity is something that takes years to build and only moments to destroy just mom if joseph would have compromised when nobody's watching if he would have failed the integrity test i wonder what the outcome of his life would have been but he understood stewardship man I, I don't own this my master entrusts me with this i know boundaries so there's certain things that i won't do you know the enemy will put compromise in front of us little by little by little i thought about this I was reading about the, the, the sinking of the Titanic, April 15th, 1912. They said that ship was unsinkable. I mean, it boasted of things. It was the most remarkable, um, um, humanly engineered and manufactured feat in that day. And so, and many of you know the story, it, it sank because it hit an iceberg. And you're thinking, well, okay, that's true. But you know what? It's only partly true. You know what happened to the Titanic? You know what the reason was that it it, it sank? Because ships that were made comparable to the Titanic, they ran into icebergs all the time, yet they remained intact. What caused the Titanic to catastrophically fail? It was three million faulty rivets. Little tiny rivets. In the manufacturing of this ship, they tried to cut corners, and so they used substandard iron to make these rivets. So uh, when when ships would hit an iceberg, they should have remained intact because the, the steel on that boat was double thick. But the problem was when the ship hit the iceberg and the pressure came on those little tiny rivets, they were compromised and they failed. And those big plates of steel fell off that boat and water came gushing in. You see, as a leader, we know that life Is all about rivets. It's all about the little things. If the devil can get you to compromise in something little, he can sink the boat of your dreams. Let me ask you this. How will you stand when pressure comes? Joseph realized, no, 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 no. There's a great call of God on my life. I've got a purpose. The Lord is with me. I don't want to do anything that will hurt the anointing or compromise my integrity. You see, Christine Kane said this years ago, and I never forgot it. She said, what is on you will destroy you if what is in you can't sustain you. I want you to think about that. The gift, the talent, the ability, the dream, the, whatever is on you will destroy you if what's in you cannot sustain you. Somebody say Integrity. Financial integrity, integrity in our relationships, integrity on our job, in our marriage, with our children. Joseph had to pass the integrity test. Now, let me, let me wrap this up. So you know what happens. Many of you are familiar with this story. Joseph runs right out of his coat. Well, Miss Potty uses that evidence to frame him and falsely accuse him. So she tells her husband, this Hebrew slave, tried to come at me. Look, here's his coat. I have the very coat to prove it. So Potiphar takes Joseph and throws him into his own personal prison. Won't you consider this? Joseph used to run the prison because Potiphar had turned everything over to him. Now Joseph is in the very prison that he used to run. Isn't it amazing how Joseph had these dreams, but it seems like he's getting further and further and further? Away. While in prison, Joseph meets two of Pharaoh's attendants. One is a cupbearer and the other is a baker. Both of these guys have dreams. Amazing. Joseph has a dream and he can't get it fulfilled. These two attendants of Pharaoh have dreams and Joseph interprets those dreams. And he tells the cupbearer, he says, listen, you're going to be restored into Pharaoh's court. Look at what it says in Genesis. Where are we at here? Where are we at here? Um, look at verse chapter 40, verse 14. Joseph says, hey, please remember me. Remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Please mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. Pharaoh's, verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, Forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. The third test, and the, the, probably the most difficult when it comes to dreams, is what I call the obscurity test. Joseph forgot. Nobody see him. Nobody paying any attention to him. Nobody even remembers him. Have you ever felt like others are moving past you and that you're invisible. How many's ever felt just hidden? Wait a second, promotion is happening all around me. People are advancing. God, have you forgotten me? And yet the scripture reminds us time and time again that the Lord was with Joseph, whether he was in the pit whether he was in Potiphar's house or whether he was in prison, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. You see, in seasons of obscurity, and some of you feel that, I mean, that's, that's the test that you're in right now. you got a great dream, a great desire, but you feel invisible. The key to passing this test is in knowing that the Lord is with you. You see, when you're in obscurity, you don't need answers. You need his presence. The presence of the Lord makes all the difference in the world. He can't get his dream to come to pass, yet he's interpreting other people's dreams. What in the world is happening? God, I'm trying to do the right things, and I feel like I'm ending up in the wrong places. Lord, do you see? God, do you know? Do you even care that I'm here? How many ever felt that way before? The test of obscurity. You know, Jesus himself went through seasons of just hiddenness. Joseph is a type of Christ, and we'll see that in a dramatic way next Sunday. This thing's gonna unfold, and you're gonna see the sovereign hand of God. There may be chapters and moments that you don't understand, and you feel hidden and tucked away, but even Jesus can identify. You know, we read a lot about Jesus at his birth. We celebrate it at Christmas. And then we know a lot about his ministry and his miracles, his teachings. I mean, you read the gospels, it's everywhere. Even his his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. But there's nothing that you really know about Christ when he's 15 years old. Ever thought about that? What was Jesus doing at 17, at 21, at 28 years of age? We don't know. These are called the silent years, the hidden years. Not a lot's been documented. In fact, there's only one verse in all the Gospels that sums up 30 years of silence. Think about it. 30 years. He didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. We read about his birth. We read a lot about his ministry. That's a 30 year gap. There's only one verse in all the Gospels that sum up 30 years. In Luke 2 52, the Bible says, Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom, in favor, and stature. He grew. Why why all the silence? Jesus knows what it's like to be hidden. Think about it. How long was Jesus' ministry? How long did he minister before he died? Three years. Three years. 30 years of silence. Watch this. 30 years of preparation for a three-year assignment. Did you hear that? Hear me, church. 30 years of preparation. What is God trying to do during this the the test of obscurity? He's preparing you. He values preparation. He's getting you ready. He's saying, look, you're not ready yet, but one day you will be. And when you're ready, I'll release you into that dream, into that destiny, into that future. Listen to me, church. Alignment comes before assignment is released. Alignment always precedes assignment. What is God doing during your season of obscurity? He's bringing alignment into your thinking, into your gift mix. He understands what he's called you to do. You know why? The dream came from God and not from you. It's his dream. It's that responsibility, stewardship. Lord, I know this thing's not about me. It came from you. It's a commitment to integrity. Lord, keep my heart right. Keep me ready. But the obscurity is about God positioning you before He releases you. It's like a winter season. Think about it. A tree during winter, it looks like it's just dead, doesn't it? No leaves, no blossoms, no fruit. I mean, it just kind of dries up. In the winter, there's, there's no activity, but there's something about, I want, I want you to see this, because I want you to see how it parallels in the natural to the spirit. There's something about the winter season for a tree. Scientists call it dormancy. The tree looks like it's dead, but it's not dead. The sap in that tree, it withdraws from the branches, and it gets down into the roots. The sap is the life of the tree. And the the, the, the sap gets to the roots because it's making preparations because the busiest season for the life of a tree is spring. When things begin to blossom and bloom and it explodes with life. You see, winter is preparation for the spring that's coming obscurity it seems like nothing is happening that nobody cares that nobody's paying attention but it's God's way of bringing life down to the root of who you are and he's getting you ready because spring is coming there's coming a day when that dream will be reality and when God sees that you're ready you'll be released to walk in everything that God's called you to can I have a good amen come on do you believe that this morning Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.